0: Continuing our series in Luke's Gospel, we now turn to Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 21. Now, let me remind you that there is a great crowd that has gathered. And Jesus has presented what is sometimes called the parable of the sower, what we call the parable of the soils, when we looked at it last week. And he is continuing the same theme of that parable, though now changing the figure in verse 16. So it's important that you understand the connection. Will you pray with me? Our Father, our hearts beat with passion for your glory, and yet we also know as believers in Christ we do, not, we do not desire your glory as we should and as we ought. We can never do so. Even in heaven when we are free from sin, we will nonetheless be finite creatures, and you are deserving of infinite praise. Father, knowing who you are, knowing something of your holy nature, we now come to your Word, and we desire to see Christ, the only hope for us sinners, the only one who can redeem, the only one who can save. There is no other. And we pray that you will use the preaching of the Word for the conversion of the lost, and that your people may grow in grace, and that we may be conformed to the image of your Son but also that you would use that word in the lives of your people gathered here, that it may be multiplied in their families and workplaces and neighborhoods and throughout our community and indeed throughout the world. Use us in this little town, in this little place, in this small church. Use us, Father, we pray, that we may, that we may through through Christ's power, through the Holy Spirit's blessing be used of you throughout the globe until Jesus comes again. Open our hearts that we may see our need and that we may see the sufficient Savior on the page of Holy Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray with utter humility. Amen. Standing together, reading together Luke's gospel beginning in verse 16 of chapter 8. This is the Word of God. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother... And my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Now, people of God, the stark issue that faced us in the parable of the soils just preceding this passage that we read this morning was how to respond to the Word of God, the various ways in which hearts respond or fail to respond positively to the Word of God. The warning was against the backdrop of Isaiah chapter 6, quoted by Jesus, and it was simply this warning. Rejection of the Word of God over time becomes more and more pronounced. The heart that is hard and rejects God's Word becomes harder and harder and harder if God does not intervene. And even when the word is presented in its simplest form as with a parable, those who were gathered there who were not regenerate of the Holy Spirit could see no spiritual realities, nothing of God's glory, nothing to draw them out of sin and into the light of Christ's ministry and word and truth. The theme of how we hear God's word then continues in the passage that we just read. How do we, how do I, how do you hear the word of God? It must be an important theme for Jesus to continue to teach the crowds that have gathered around him about this great matter. How do we respond to the word of God? let's begin by seeing that he uses the image of light. And the first thing is this, light illuminates, light illuminates. Verse 16, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Now, Jesus, I am convinced, is referring to his own teaching here in verse 16, the teaching that he has just given, the teaching that he is giving now. He is not exhorting the disciples to reflect the light. He does that in a similar passage in Matthew 5.15, and I think it's an appropriate application for us to say, how therefore do I reflect the light But remember, Jesus undoubtedly would take similar language and similar themes and teach them in various places with somewhat differing emphases or meanings. And the point here is that Jesus himself is the light and that his teaching is the light. So the stress here is on the authority of Jesus and how this necessitates a response to Jesus' person and a response to his teaching. And just as the parable of the soils calls for a response, this teaching on the light calls for, necessitates a response from our hearts, a response that will be for Christ or against Christ. It will be one or the other. There is no middle ground. The light of Jesus' teaching is explained by himself in the 16th verse when he says something about the bed. Now, the bed that is mentioned here, was a mattress that could be rolled up when it is not used. And he says no one would take that rolled up mattress and cover the lamp so that the light would be hidden. Or no one would light a lamp only to cover it up with an earthen vessel. You light the lamp, cover it up so that no one can see it. That makes no sense. Uh, Where does one put a lamp when it is lighted? On a a lampstand, so that it illumines the whole room. The lamp was usually, of course, of earthenware. It had a handle, and it had a nozzle where there was the wick, and there were two holes on top, one for pouring in the oil, the other for the air. So you could take something like an earthen vessel, or you could take a mattress, and you could cover the top, and it would keep the oxygen away from the lamp and it would be extinguished. The lampstand, of course, would probably be makeshift, but usually it would be somewhere in the center of the room because you want people to be able to see when they enter when there were no electric lights and Edison had not yet lived. The point is simple. The lamp is ignited in order that it might give light. And Jesus is saying that his life and ministry are that light, the light that illumines. He came into this world as the light to enlighten us men and women and children. Jesus is the light that illumines. You recall in Luke chapter 1, 78 and 79, the Messiah is called the rising sun because he is that light. And what Jesus says here can be applied to all of the Word of God because all of the Bible is Jesus' Word. It is ultimately God's Word. Psalm 119, 105 is a familiar verse. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What Jesus then is doing by talking about his person and his work and his ministry and his teaching as light is that he is affirming that his Word is self-attesting. It is light. It is clear. He affirms that it should be believed. His word is invested with divine authority that is beyond question, and therefore it should be heard. It should be heeded. It should be believed. It should be obeyed because it is light that comes into the dark world. And just as God's revelation of himself in nature is clear, the problem is not with the clarity of God's revelation in nature, the problem is with our sin and our failure to perceive it, so his revelation of himself in his son and his son's word is also clear. It is self-attesting, the word carries its own authority within itself itself. There is nothing that can be put above the Word of God to determine its truth. Rather, the Word determines the truth and falsity of all things. This is the constant witness of the Scripture concerning itself. The Bible never gives anyone an excuse for not believing what it teaches. Jesus never gives anyone an excuse for not believing what he teaches, what he says, or what he came to do. Rather, the opposite is true we are all held responsible for not believing the self-attesting Word of Christ. So if that is the case, that the Word is indeed self-attesting, that it is absolutely clear and altogether sufficient, why is it that we sinners, by nature, do not see the clear light of the Word for what it is? Well, we could turn to many passages to help to illumine this point for us, But let's turn to 1, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now, if you'll turn there to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you will read this verse in which the depravity of man and our total inability is referenced by Paul in relation to the Word. I think the context would demonstrate that, but look at verse 14 only, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person, that's the person who doesn't know Christ, the person outside of Christ. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so because of that, Sinners do not see the clear light, the light which really is clear of the word for what it is. Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness, they do not know over what they stumble. First John 1 John 1.6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Ephesians says, you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And I was a boy of about 13 years old. I had just come to faith in Christ, and I could not wait to get to the worship services. I'm still that way, by the way. I cannot wait to get to the worship services. It's where I wanted to be. There was a radical change in my life when I came to you know Cry. I didn't care anything about worship, cared nothing about the Bible. God saved me, and I couldn't get enough of it. And so I was there. I was the first one there. Nobody was there. I was sitting in the dark, and Pastor Tumblin, my early boyhood pastor, walked in, and I was sitting in the dark, and he flipped the light on, and he saw me there, and he quoted this verse in John 3, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now, at the time, I was wondering, did he think I was doing something evil (laughs) when he flipped the light switch on? But I think he was taking it as a teaching moment, and I've never forgotten the verse. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. By nature, we are in darkness, not in light, and we need a new heart in order to see the light. The problem is not in the clarity of Scripture, it's not in Jesus' teaching or His Word. Jesus' Word is light. The issue is not with Jesus, the issue is with me and with you, with us. So perhaps you're trying to get in a broadcast on the radio and and you're fumbling with your radio and you just can't get it to come in and you think, well, the problem is the signal. Well, in the case that I'm thinking of, the problem is not the signal, the problem is with the receiver. The problem is with your radio or whatever device you might use now to listen to whatever you want to hear. The problem was not in the signal. The signal was perfectly clear. The problem was in the receptor, and that's us by nature. Needed the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, the new birth. The Westminster Confession of Faith, having spoken of the self-attesting nature of Scripture, says in chapter 1, paragraph 5, notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of... The infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. So Jesus shines as light in the dark place. The problem is not with the light. The problem is that fallen sinners are blind. Indeed, we are spiritually dead. And dead men cannot see light. That's all of us apart from Christ. And Jesus' teaching is open, it is public, it is compared to a light that cannot be hidden. So light illumines. But then we see, secondly, that light also exposes. And we read that in verse 17. Look at it. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Light exposes. Jesus' message cannot ultimately be ignored. Jesus' message will, on the judgment day, if not before, open our hearts and show us what is there. All secrets will be brought to light. Jesus' teaching and the Word of God exposes the sinner's heart. What are the secrets of your heart and mine that continue to need exposing so that we may believe and repent? But, you know, by nature, men try and cover up before God, don't they? Adam and Eve sowed fig leaves after the fall. Isaiah 28 20 gives an interesting case for this. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. In order to express the spiritual bankruptcy of ancient Judah, what we find here is someone who's lying in a bed. He's too long for the bed. The bed's too short. The covers won't work. He tries to cover his feet and they won't. They, he can't cover, cover the feet without messing with something else on his body. He tries to cover the top, the feet are uncovered, the feet, the shoulders are uncovered. He's just spiritually bankrupt. He can't hide even though he tries to do so. Now it's wonderful when this happens now by grace. When God opens the heart, shows us our sin in order that the Lord may break us down and humble us and show us sin and we believe and repent. As Jesus said would be the work of the Holy Spirit in John 16, he will come to expose sin. But if not now, then surely later, there is a day coming when all of the secrets of the heart, every one of them, will be made manifest in the light of Christ's presence. And that day will not go well for the lost who have not the righteousness of Christ imputed to their account. Because in that day there will be judgment, there will be heaven or hell. And I counsel you, if you were lost, to cry out for mercy. So how do we relate verses 16 and 17? How do they hang together? Let's read them again. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Well, we relate them in this way. When Jesus taught or when the truth is preached, the light is manifested, proclaimed, made known, its function is to illumine and to expose. But the day is coming when the truth of Christ will illumine and expose to the light all that lies in darkness every secret thing will then be made known mark 422 for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light which leads us to the third thing that i think should be apparent as we read these verses the light also makes us accountable the light makes us accountable And so we read in verse 18, take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. So the light makes us accountable in such a way that Jesus gives a warning about how to hear, how we listen. He says, take heed, watch out. Be aware, look out. The issue is how we respond to the teaching of the Word of God. How you hear is the issue. Now, on a somewhat parallel passage, Mark 4, we read that we should take heed what we hear. Now, that's true as well. We should not expose ourselves to just anything. We should be careful about what we hear, but the point here is... Not what we hear. They're hearing Jesus teach. The issue is how the heart listens and how we hear the word of God. Pay attention to what you hear. And both are essential what you hear and how you hear. He says, the one who has more will be given. Now that corresponds to verse 15 of the parable of the soils in which we were told that when the seed enters into the good soil, it bears fruit and produces a hundredfold. Those of you who hear believingly and with faith and hear well, you have the promise of Jesus Christ in this passage that it's going to grow, it's going to mature, and that it's going to bear fruit. More will be given. That's a wonderful thing to know. But he also says in this passage, the one who has not even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now, it's very important that it's put that way by the Lord Jesus. He wants us to see something. Even what he thinks that he has, not what he has, but what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Because the person who is going to be judged is also a person who is self-deceived. He thinks that all is well. He thinks that he has received the word of God. He thinks that he's honoring Christ, but he has no ground for it, no foundation for it, because he does not really understand Christ's teaching. He does not understand what Christ came to do, and he does not understand the gospel. So, the intellectual component in hearing the word of God is is extraordinarily important, but it's not that alone It is a knowledge of God that is Holy Spirit wrought, of which Jesus speaks in this passage. What Jonathan Edwards called the divine and supernatural light. Edwards says the divine and supernatural light is a true sense of the divine excellency of the things revealed in the word of God and a conviction of the truth and reality of them thence arising. Edward's point is simply what the Bible teaches. It's not just a rational knowledge that God's word is true. It is a heart that relishes what is true. It is a soul that longs for what is true. It is a human spirit because indwelt by the Holy Spirit that loves what is true and believes that God has revealed it. It's a sense of the loveliness of the things That Jesus speaks of in this passage or elsewhere. A sense of the loveliness of Christ and the beauty of Christ and his plan of redemption. So let's take Edward's point and let's update it. Here's the idea Suppose we have a chemist, and the chemist decides he wants to learn everything there is to know about honey. And so he takes the honey and he analyzes it in his lab. He does all of these sorts of tests, he writes big, thick, Uh, books about it, maybe his doctoral dissertation. He writes, he analyzes honey, he speaks of its properties, he can tell you everything there is to know about honey, but if he has never tasted honey, he doesn't know honey. Does that make sense to you? If he's never tasted honey, he can tell you all the properties about it, he can tell you everything about it, but he doesn't know honey because he's never tasted honey. heard about a woman who made the comment, "I've been in church all my life," she said, and never heard a sermon until I was 58 years old." Well she didn't mean she hadn't heard it with a ear. She had never heard it. She had never believed it. She had never understood it, because she was lost. and she was in darkness for 58 years. Now thank God that wasn't true in my life. I was 13 years. I sat in church every Sunday. I heard the word every Sunday. I cared nothing about it. I heard every word and didn't hear every word. I heard everything that was said about Christ and didn't believe it. I heard everything about the gospel and I didn't want it. I did everything I could to put my mind somewhere else and to turn it off. I grew up hearing it. But until God reached down in sovereign free grace and opened my heart and through his spirit regenerated my soul... I cared nothing for the word of God, did not receive it as mine. I had never tasted to see that the Lord is good. I had never tasted the honey. Now that's the issue here. Light makes us accountable. The light spoken of in this text illumines. One can know about the light without ever having seen because of the light. So which is true of you? If you hear the word with the outward ear and yet you do not do the word, you do not know the God of the word and what you think that you have, and there are a lot of people in churches that think they have will be taken away. True faith always evidences itself, and that's the point I think of the connection. With Jesus' mothers and brothers, in that next section, Jesus' mothers and brothers came. The crowd was so great they couldn't get in, so someone slips in and says, your, your family's out here, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. And by the way, Mary did have relations with Joseph after the birth of Christ, and there were brothers passing remark because Rome teaches otherwise. I remember John Murray saying that if she didn't have sex with her husband, she was a wretch indeed, but she did after the virgin birth of Christ. There were half-brothers, but the point is here, they couldn't get in to see Jesus, but he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. John 17, Jesus prays before going to the cross for his disciples. Do you remember what he prayed? He says, They have kept my word. Now we know they didn't keep it perfectly, right? We know that they didn't altogether believe that there was a lot of of mixture with their true faith, but nonetheless, they had really believed in Jesus and they have kept his word very imperfectly, but very really. So verses 17 and 18 give a profound and pronounced warning. Obviously, the Lord Jesus is pointing, and I think everyone would have understood that he was pointing to the judgment day. So there's a solemn note here, and I think we need to think about that solemn note. Everyone to whom I speak now, every one of us, including myself, will either trust Christ whose sacrifice is sufficient to save us to the uttermost because he is sufficient to save to the uttermost all who come to God through him. And there is no other person and there is no other way of salvation, only Jesus Christ and his atonement on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Everyone will either believe and trust in Christ or you will be condemned in the judgment on the last day. It is one or the other. Ecclesiastes 11.9 walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Ecclesiastes 12:14 For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Matthew 10:26 Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Matthew 12:36 I tell you on the day of judgment people will give account for every careless word they speak. Matthew 16:27 For the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Mark 4:22 For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light. Luke 12:2 Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Romans 2:16 Paul speaks of that day when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purpose of his commendation from God. Revelation twenty twelve and 13, And I saw the dead, great and small, and we're just scratching the surface, they could well be multiplied. There are no secrets from God. There's there's nothing that we think, nothing that we do, nothing that we say that God does not know in His divine omniscience. And it will all be judged in the last day. And again I say, if you do not have the righteousness of Christ imputed to you, you cannot stand on the day of judgment. He is the only hope of sinners. Samuel Davies was one of our great Presbyterian forefathers, who was sometimes called the Apostle of Virginia. He lived about the same time as Jonathan Edwards. Succeeded him as the president of the College of New Jersey, now Princeton, after Edwards' death, and he preached a sermon on Acts seventeen thirty on the universal judgment. Here's a snippet of what he preached. What astonishing discoveries will this trial of every hidden thing make? What noble dispositions which never shone in full beauty to mortal eyes? What generous purposes crushed in embryo for lack of power to execute them? What pious and noble actions concealed under the veil of modesty or misconstrued by ignorance and prejudice? What affectionate aspirations? What devout exercises of heart which lay open only to the eyes of omniscience? And are now brought to full light and receive the approbation of the supreme judge before the assembled universe. But, on the other hand, what works of shame and darkness are then revealed? What hidden things of dishonesty? What dire secrets of treachery, hypocrisy, lewdness, and various forms of wickedness artfully and industriously concealed from human sight What horrid exploits of sin now burst to light in all their hellish colors to the confusion of the guilty and the astonishment and horror of the universe. Surely, the history of mankind must then appear like the annals of hell or the biography of devils. Then the mask of deceit will be torn off, clouded characters will clear up, And men as well as things will appear in their true light. Their hearts will be, as it were, turned outwards and all their secrets exposed to full view. The design of this judicial inquiry will not be to inform the omniscient judge, but to convince all worlds of the justice of his proceedings And this design renders it necessary that all these things should be laid open to their sight, that they may see the grounds upon which he passes sentence. Does not the prospect of such a revealing fill some of you with horror? For many of your actions, and especially of your thoughts, will not bear the light. How would it confound you if all your secret thoughts were now all published even in the small circle of your friends. How then can you bear to have them all fully exposed before God, angels, and the universe? Will it not confound you with shame and make you objects of everlasting contempt to all worlds? These are the facts to be tried and I think of my own heart and I think of the people under my charge hey I even think of the elections coming up which one of our American fathers said what makes a statesman is that he makes all of his decisions in light of the judgment to come what makes a politician is that he doesn't and preachers used to preach these things didn't they Very rarely do you hear. There's heaven, there's hell, there's no in-between, there's a judgment coming. And it needs to be preached again. In proper balance, but it needs to be preached again. So listen, we all know this day is coming. Eternity is written on our hearts. No one, not me, not you, no one, could stand on that day on the basis of his thoughts, his conscience, or his actions. There is only one way to be prepared for that day, total trust in Jesus Christ standing on that day dressed in the legal righteousness of Christ, because God is the purchaser and he is the price in his son. And therefore, his son's sacrifice is able to cleanse you no matter how deep and dark or secret your sin has been. And there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And those of us who have put our trust in Christ alone can look to that day with reverence and awe. But we need not fear any condemnation because we are now completely accepted in the person of Christ. And we may sing... Bold shall I stand in that great day for who ought to my charge shall lay fully absolved through these I am from sin and fear from guilt and shame. And so the message of the passage to every one of us is take heed how yes what but take heed how you hear. God's people said, Amen.